Our text this morning is from Romans 3, 21 through 26. You'll find that on page 941 in the Bible in the chair in front of you. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jacob. You may be seated. I just want to say welcome again. I'm Ransom Kent and the pastor here at Grace and just really thankful that you all have joined us either online or here in person and uh, just, just thankful to have a, a full house this morning. It's wonderful to see you all. Um, if you have hung around Christians at all, or maybe you've been to church Easter or, or Christmas time, uh, you almost definitely have heard the word salvation, all right, salvation. Uh, and so today, as you can see by the title of the sermon, if you've looked at the bulletin, the title of today's sermon is What is Salvation? And so uh, from this passage in Romans 3, we're going to venture to define clearly what salvation is from a Christian perspective. And so uh, to start our definition this morning. I thought it'd be uh, interesting to start from a couple of examples uh, from non-Christian resources to make a point, okay? Uh, first, I'm gonna quote from the introduction to a book called Homo Deus by Yuval Noah Harari. You may know the one, I'm not sure if you're uh, that smart. I, I found this out a couple weeks ago or a few months ago. He's famous for a book that he wrote on the evolutionary history of humankind called Homo sapien. Well, his second book is called Homo Deus, and it's basically, a, 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 from an evolutionary perspective, a prediction of where humanity's going, all right? And so his prediction is that we ourselves are becoming gods, hence Homo Deus. He says uh, that, uh, his theory is that uh, technology, through technology, through knowledge, through development of the human being, we will become the intelligent designers. We'll be the ones who can solve all of our problems. And so this is from the introduction to his book. He says this, during the last hundred years, technological, economic, and political developments have created an increasingly robust safety net separating humankind from the bio biological poverty line. There are no longer natural famines in the world. There are only political famines. If people in Syria, Sudan, or Somalia starve to death, it's because some politician wants them to. Happy Easter. Um, on the lighter side, okay, so the, think, just bookmark what he said there. On the lighter side, there's an author and a humorist named Michael Shore. Uh, you may know his name. He's an author, excuse me, uh, one of the writers of The Office and Parks and Recreation and, and most recently The Good Place. Um, and he recently released a book called How to Be Perfect, which is kind of a humorous, lighthearted look at moral philosophy. His, uh, his theory is that we should try to be good people. We should try to be good people. But he says two things. First, he says trying to be good, we, we must understand, may not always result in being good. Meaning if we pick up that piece of trash and put it in the garbage, it may end up floating in the ocean somewhere. 
We, we can't control the actual outcome of the things we think are good. And he says that not everyone wants to be good. So from his introduction to his book, he says the planet contains 8 billion people. And a lot of them don't seem to care at all about being good. There are corrupt politicians, conniving CEOs, and people who don't pick up after their dog. And evil dictators. I like how that's in there with those other things. And so it's hard to wonder if one person being good even matters. Okay. So here's where I'm going. You don't have to fire me yet, church. Just listen, okay? What is the similar problem in both of those solutions? People. People are the problem. So yes, okay, we have great technology. We're advancing in politics and knowledge. But people, as long as someone wants someone else to starve and they have the power to do it, it will take place. As long as there's conniving CEOs and, and people who are bad dog owners, th th there's problems in the world. So these certainly are two extreme cases. You have one academic, one comedic, but thoughtful, but that's the problem. That's the problem that Christianity is talking about when we talk about salvation, the root of the issue, people, people. Now, it's easy to pick on dictators, and it's easy to pick on people who leave presents in your front yard from their dog. Um, but it, let's be honest for a moment. Let's have a little Easter honesty. Uh, I'm not sure that's a tradition in anyone's home, but um, there's at least, at least a little bit of that nastiness in all of our hearts, mine included. There's at least a little bit. Now, why do we, Grace Presbyterian Church, meet in this building at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings? Why do we get together with friends from our church and study the Bible throughout the week? Why do we think it's important to tell other people about Jesus? Here's the thing. It's not because we see the problems in the world and all the people out there and we've got to figure it out. What a miserable experience that would be. We come here because we carry the people problem with us in our hearts, pastor included. We know we have a desperate need. And here's the thing. We, we believe that we were created for a purpose. That purpose was, is to relate to God, to be in a relationship with him. But every hour of every day, we at least do something that keeps us separated from him without some kind of solution. And so we believe that about ourselves, but we also believe that God and his love and his mercy and his grace and in his power has made it okay for us to come to him. And through Jesus Christ, we are accepted anyway. That's why we come and worship God here. Church is not a great show of holiness. <laughs> in fact, if you're a member of Grace and you're here for the reputation, your pastor just quoted someone talking about a dog doing his business. So you might wanna rethink a few things in your life, okay? Um, it's not about a show of holiness. No, we come here because we are expressing our desperate need for something that we don't have. And we are coming here because we believe that God more than delivers in that need. And so as we look at the passage of scripture, that's what these first few verses are getting at. The author, Paul, an apostle, uh, if we had read Romans 1 all the way through Romans 3.20, we would see that he's just finished making a case for the, the desperation of humanity. We need something that we don't have. 
Sin has caused a problem. And these words, these few phrases in verse 21 begin pointing us towards the solution, pointing us toward where that need can be met, and that is where we find salvation. Salvation. Salvation is the meeting of that need that we have. He reminds us in verse 21, look at it here, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So before Jesus came, all that we knew from God was that there was a bunch of rules and you had to follow them if you had any chance to have a relationship with him. If there was any chance, you had to be enough But it says in verse 22, the righteousness, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now there's something different. Christianity brings, the scripture brings a tremendous truth to us. This tremendous truth that it's not about following rules or being good enough. It's about what someone else has done in our place. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the rest of the passage This morning, we're going to take a detailed look at what salvation is. We can then, for ourselves, ask if we need it or if we want it. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump into the rest of the passage. Father, as a broken human being, as one who carries the problem with himself everywhere he goes, I pray that you would guide my words this morning. May my words stop at the microphone and may your spirit carry the message you want folks to hear to the hearts of those gathered here online. I pray that you would speak to me, speak to us in our desperate need and remind us just what Easter is. It's salvation. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, what is salvation? We're gonna get right to it. If we look at the second part of verse 22 and into 23, we realize the first definition point of salvation from this passage is salvation is for everyone. Salvation is for everyone. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the second part of 22 into verse 23. So listen, salvation's not for a particular race of people, thank goodness. Salvation's not... Uh, for, for those who only struggle with certain sins. Salvation's not for people who are rich or only for the poor. Salvation's not for people who are smart or those who are not. <clears throat> Salvation's not only for the person who works hard, who knows how to keep things religiously locked down. They've got, they've got a, they, they're OG in their religion, right? Like John said, they, they, they know how to do it, they know what to do, they know what to look like, and they've got it locked down. That's not who's what salvation's for. In fact, nothing disqualifies anyone from eligibility to be saved, nothing. Salvation is for everyone. Salvation is for everyone because everyone needs it. Now, we talked already this morning about how we all, if we're honest, carry a little bit of that that nastiness inside of us, and I'll say here's the proof. The proof is that all of us, in one way or another, have uttered the sentiment, well, no one is perfect, right? And and I wanna say this morning, that, that is not a cutesy anecdote to Christians. 
That's not a badge of honor. I've noticed in the media in this day and age, uh, people, uh, by admitting that they have, they have fault, it's almost like they're doing good in doing so. Oh, you're so bad, you're good. This doesn't make any sense. It's not a badge of honor. It's a symptom of the problem. It's evidence of our need. No one's perfect. No one's perfect. <clears throat> Salvation is for everyone because everyone, according to verse 23, and we believe this at this church, everyone has fallen short of their created purpose. Everyone. Everyone. The scriptures teach that in, there's this relationship to be had with God. <clears throat> and when we know God relationally, there's beauty, there's glory, there's wholeness, there's flourishing in that relationship. But we've missed out on all that. In fact, the happiness that we seek in our lives, that, that comfort that we all long for, that's simply a residue of this thing that the human heart used to know, but it has lost because of sin. And so because we've lost it, because we've all lost it, we all need it. Do you hear that? Salvation's for everyone. And it's for everyone, we all need it because of an ugly truth and a beautiful truth. So first of all, salvation is truth because it, we are all sinners and the Bible says so. There is a negative aspect to this. Nobody likes to think about this, nobody likes to hear it, but it's the truth. God is creator. And at home, I liken it to using the, the rules for the game of life to play Monopoly. It doesn't make sense. God created our lives. He created how it works. He sets the rules. We may not like what he says is good. We may not like what he says is bad. But the reality is he has set forth what is good because he is good. And because he's good and because he set forth what is good, we know what is wrong. And every single one of us have done at least one thing that has violated those principles and so salvation, we might think it's ugly, but it recognizes the truth. And the truth is we need something we cannot provide for ourselves. So what's the, what's the nice side of this? Yes, we sin. All have sinned to fall short of the glory of God. But verse 24 follows up with a great, great truth. And that is that salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift. All have sinned, yes, but they are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Now, we're starting to enter into the technicalities of salvation. Our author, Paul, likes to use illustrations, and there's two, actually two illustrations right in this one verse. First, the word justified. If we hear this word justified, he wants our minds to go straight to a courtroom where we are the defendant and we are certainly guilty. The evidence is stacked up. There, there's no other conviction other than guilty to be given, but what happens? As a gift, because of what someone else has done, someone else has taken our punishment, we are acquitted. We're acquitted. And this acquittal is a gift. It's not an acquittal with a, a mandatory public service attached to it. Someone else paid the punishment. And our not guilty verdict is given and accepted, not earned. The second illustration here, the word redemption, should bring us to a, a, a slave market. 
where in this image we're on the block and we're up for sale. And any old person, any old evil master could buy us for any old thing. And what does our master do? He pays top price for us. Why? To put us to work? No, to be his child, to set us free. And what was the price? The blood of Jesus Christ. So think about this. Who more than a, a, a felon who is guilty being found not guilty and a slave who is facing a life of indentured servitude being set free and made a child, who would appreciate this gift more than those two people? No one. That is who we are. That's what God has done for us. As we continue down the passage we certainly see that salvation's for everyone. We see, yes, we have a part in this. We are sinners, but God gives the gift of salvation, but this gift is not free to him. In fact, <clears throat> our salvation, as we see in verse 25, is messy. Our salvation is messy. So for all have sinned, but all are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How did he do it? Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Very common word there. You probably said it at breakfast. Um, listen, propitiation means a payment, a payment for a deserved punishment. The pieces I hope are coming together. We're called, we're told that we are created for relationship. Our sin separated us. And so because of our sin, we deserve a punishment. But now we're receiving this justification. We're receiving this redemption. At what cost? The cost of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> we deserve the punishment, but Jesus, God in the flesh, is the one who paid it on our behalf. This is the crux of the matter, folks. This is the thing we must understand that we were created for relationship. That's why only God can satisfy us. That's why we pursue all these things we think will make us happy and they just don't, or at least not forever. And because we are people that carry around that sin, that evil in our hearts, we've lost access to that one thing that satisfies. We cannot save ourselves from evil because no one's perfect. That's, that's why. But in our need, what did God do? In our need, what did God do? Past tense. He became a human. We talked about it with the kids this morning. He became a human. God came down. We call it a condescension. He didn't have to. He could have stayed but he came down, he became a human, and for 30-something years, he sweat and he worked and he toiled. And he lived perfectly, never sinning, to show us, hey, this is righteousness, this is the purpose. And then he stood in our place of punishment, where we deserve to stand. He paid for our sin. He rose again. What do all those things do? They clear the path for access to God. That's what it does. That's what he did. I know that this word sin is controversial and I, I, I figure that at least someone maybe listening online or here might be offended this morning that the pastor or God is labeling folks as sinners. Well, let me bring some perspective here. There's two sides 
to this coin, there's a whole picture. So yes, God sets the rules and God by his own rules that he has set is offended by us. That, that happens, that happened. That's the reality, but listen to this. God also paid for the offense that we gave. Amen. Amen. Thank you. My father-in-law, everybody. All right. <laughs> Extra ham at dinner, Pop. All right. <clears throat> John Stott, a famous theologian, says it this way. God gave himself to save us from himself. Do you hear it? So if you have a problem with God calling you a sinner... Please understand, he doesn't give you an opportunity to pay that punishment under Jesus Christ. He did what was necessary to save you from that thing. And so we come to a definition of salvation. We come to a definition of salvation. Salvation is recognizing and accepting that God is everything we need. And really, he's everything we want. We think we want all these other things, but we want, what we really, really want is that satisfaction that comes from a relationship with God. And salvation is accepting that fact and praising his name for it. God doesn't send Jesus as a good teacher to say, here's what you're doing wrong, here's how you do it right, here's how I did it, now good luck. He walks with us all the way salvation belongs to God. And he gives it freely. As we see three times in this passage, verse 22, verse 25, and verse 26, salvation is offered freely by faith to be received as a gift. So look at this. <clears throat> Whom God put forward as an atoning sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just, he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. We mentioned earlier that salvation is not for those who work hard enough. Faith is in fact the ceasing of work. It's saying, I can't do it on my own. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the resources. God, who you say you are, what you say you did, who you say that I am, I accept it all. That's faith. And so make no mistake, God is just, as it says in verse 26. That's scary because that means God is a God of accountability. What we do matters. And he has set the rules. God is not a jovial grandpa. Oh, don't worry about it. Here's a hard candy, right? It's not what God does. No offense to hard candy. Werther's are delicious. That should be a little scary to hear. No one's perfect. Well, guess what God demands? Perfection. But it says here, he might, so that he might be just and the justifier. So listen, he's not just just. He's the justifier. All these things we've been talking about. That yes, we have a payment due. Yes, we have sin. Yes, God holds us accountable to it. But what? He gave Jesus. He justifies us. He's the path to not guilty. And why did he do that? He loves us. He's calling us to salvation. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to be free. And so on Easter... Yes, 
We recognize Jesus Christ died because of what Ransom Kent did and does and will do. He died because of that. But Jesus rose again in power and love for us. That's what he did. Salvation from every nook and cranny in this world, from every nook and cranny in this heart is only found in Jesus Christ and that salvation is offered freely by faith. That's the truth of Easter. And so what do we have to do? Might be a good question to finish up. What do we have to do? If you're here this morning or you're listening online and you don't believe these things, Maybe you've been down this road, you grew up in church, whatever the case, if you don't believe that you're a sinner, that you need Jesus, that he's the only salvation, these things, but maybe there's a stirring in your heart, listen, what must you do? Faith is saying, God, what you say is true. God, what you say is true, period. (laughs) No ifs, ands, or buts. God, what you say is true. I give myself to that truth. Remember, salvation's not getting our act right. That's not salvation. Salvation is recognizing the problem and recognizing the solution. And Christians, we have to remember, and it's good for us to recall this every now and again, that salvation's not being a prim and proper Southern Christian. That's not salvation. Our salvation is not in our reputation. Our salvation is not being better than other people. That's not even a thing. Salvation is just what we describe today. So whether you are not with Christ or you are with Christ, what must we do? We must recognize our sin, must recognize our need, and recognize that God more than delivers with the empty grave. And that's the best news of all. Because as we are charged, Christian, to run day after day after day after day to Jesus, guess what? He is risen. He's risen indeed. And that's why the Lord's Supper is not a sad, mopey thing this morning. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. It's a celebration that, yes, Christ was crushed in our place. Yes, his body was broken. Yes, his blood was shed. Yes, I had a part in that. Yes, all those things. But yes, God loves us. And yes, God has made a way through that impossible path. And so this morning, as we come down the aisle and we take a piece of bread and we take a little cup of something, I want us to understand that while we're technically waiting in a line, this is an image that we can capture that God has cleared the way for us. He's cleared the way for us. And to participate has nothing to do with who we are or what we've done or anything like that or how many bows our kids wore this morning, whatever. Nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with God loving us and doing it for us. And so this morning, if you are celebrating the fact that yes, you're a a sinner at heart and you still fight against that sin, but you celebrate that Jesus Christ is the answer and you celebrate that God has made a way and you celebrate with your family by professing that publicly and being baptized. God is saying, come and celebrate with me. God is enjoying this morning. He wants to enjoy it with you, Christian. So come and celebrate. As we do each week, we also 
give a warning from scripture that if you don't believe these things, if you don't believe these things, if you, if you have a sin in your life that you just refuse to, to give up and you say, you know what, I, I, I like it too much. The scriptures make it clear. It doesn't make sense to come and eat. And so we would ask that you don't. But don't end it there. We, we'll have Steve, one of our staff members up here with his wife, Katie, after the service. If you have questions, come talk to me outside or Steve and Katie up here. We'd be more than happy to continue the conversation. Don't just leave it at, well, I'm going to stay put and that's it. There's so much at stake. And listen, the path is cleared for everyone. Don't leave that question unanswered. So what we're going to do for the next few moments is we're just going to take uh, a time to quietly pray, evaluate, bless you, uh, evaluate where you're at, and then we'll gather you together with prayer uh, to distribute the Lord's Supper. eternal, all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful Father in heaven. Thank you for clearing the way. Thank you for showing us not just the problem with the world, but the problem in us. Thank you for showing us that it's not a matter of achieving, succeeding, doing, to be saved. Instead, you said, I will achieve for you. Thank you for the life of Christ. Thank you for the death of Christ. Thank you for the resurrection of Christ. I pray this morning that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would bless this supper we're going to participate in. Give us joy in our hearts for forgiveness and the assurance of our salvation. Give us joy in our hearts for the wedding feast of the Lamb that's in our future. Give us joy in our hearts for Jesus Christ's willingness and ability to save us in the way that he did. And so Lord, I, I thank you for inviting us to the party. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If I could get four elders up front, I'd appreciate that. Uh, just some instructions, try to make them as simple as possible. Uh, the way we do the Lord's Supper here is we ask you to come forward. So we start with the second row. You come, uh, one elder will be holding a tray of bread. Uh, the other will be holding a tray of, uh, looks like uh, grape juice. I'll explain what that is here in a moment. Um, the outside ring of this tray here is grape juice. Everything else is wine. So note that for your preference. Um, what you're gonna do is you're gonna grab one of each, head back to your seat. We'll participate and eat together. Um, if you need or prefer gluten-free, we have these, those here, they're labeled. Um, if you would rather have one of the prepackaged ones as well, those are here. Um, grab one of those instead of any of those. The last thing I'll say is this, if you uh, want to participate but you can't for any physical reason, uh, simply at the end raise your hand and we'll make sure you're served where you're at. I think that's it. Uh, so at this time I would ask that uh, we begin coming forward to the second row.
night before his death, Jesus took the time to have dinner with his disciples, and at that dinner, that last supper, he instituted the Lord's Supper. And so we read those comments from, sorry, turn it off. We read those comments from Mark 14, and it says that as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, take this is my body. Let us eat of Christ's body together. At times, I, I think I think of the Lord's Supper as a morose time, but um, Jesus had uh, a celebration in mind. And we know that from Mark 14. He says this, Excuse me. Uh, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So let us celebrate with Christ together and drink of the cup. Father, we come to you in prayer one more time and we say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the Easter celebration. Thank you for the actual Easter day where you broke the bonds of death. You defeated sin and Satan for eternity. Lord, I pray that for those of us that believe this already, we would be lightened and encouraged and convicted by this truth that today would be a day of celebration. For those that do not know this truth yet, where they are investigating it, Lord, I pray that you would cause them to celebrate as well, knowing that you have cleared the way. You've solved the problem of people by becoming a people and dying in our place and rising again. And so I pray, Lord, that your gospel would go forth, that it would change our hearts and our lives, that we would become your children free from sin. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.